Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Focus on the value of income more than income as value. So the value of an income stream is, in my opinion, more valuable than an income stream as the value of an investment. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com, and in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. What's this today? Ryan Smith. How you doing, Ryan? Doing well. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about Ryan. He's the co-founder of Elevation Capital Group, focusing on manufactured housing communities and self-storage. They have more than $500 million of combined acquisition value and 175 assets across more than 30 states based in Orlando, Florida. So with that being said, Ryan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. Happy to. So real quick, I started a kind of a technology background. My dad's in real estate growing up in a real estate family. He's ADD, ADHD, so needed some tools and some help. And so my role within the family was to help with financial analysis and basically financially underwriting some of his investments starting as early as my teenage years. So I ended up seeing that my dad needed a better way to do things. So I built a software application for his business that other investors found to be useful and ended up building that software company up to an install base of about 140 some odd thousand investors globally that used it. And so wow. went to college, played baseball, got drafted a couple of times, but wanted to pursue business. So Coming out of college had, thankfully, due to kind of my programming background, my software company, I had capital. I had knowledge that real estate was a great place to endeavor. I had a tool, my software program. And my wife, who is also co-founder in the business, she had a prolific 
kind of management background and property management. So we came together and started purchasing real estate. It started with single family residential in our early 20s, built a portfolio of about 20 some odd properties, found it wasn't overly scalable at 25, and we wondered when it would be become scalable. And so we looked for a better path forward. And, and the long story short, we spent in our early 20s, probably about call it six months to a year, we researched billboards, storage, uh, apartments, mobile home parks, storage. And the things we were looking for is we wanted consistent cash flow in a variety of economic conditions. We wanted cash flow, obviously. We wanted tax benefits. And then we wanted capital appreciation opportunities or the opportunity to grow our capital base. And so really the two things we settled on were mobile home parks and storage. We liked those two. Mobile home parks really stood out. And one of the things that I saw pretty much right off the bat was interesting was what I thought was a moat hiding in plain sight. And simply put, mobile home parks are needed everywhere. They're hated everywhere. So they're not allowed anywhere. So there's a real constraint on supply. And I thought that was intriguing because I saw a moat lying in plain sight that I didn't have to spend a dollar to create. I didn't have to spend my way to its creation. So we started building a portfolio well over 15 years ago or so. And here we are today. You and your wife have been partnering up on the business for how many years? We started the company together, the inception in its original, it was about 17 years ago 17. is when, is, yeah, is when that kind of spark was lit. What are some tips for partnering up with your spouse on a business? <laughs> it's a good question. It's one of the best things to me, because this doesn't mean if you don't work with your spouse, you don't love your spouse. But to me, the opposite is also interesting, where if you really do love your spouse, and, and you know, then spending as much time with them is, is great. It's definitely stimulating to work with them in an intellectual capacity on a daily basis. So there's definitely been some learning lessons in terms of roles and responsibilities and boundaries at times. But I, I will tell you, it's, it's one of the best things. And partially because I'm spoiled because I, I married Jamie, but she's fantastic. <laughs> so what are some specific tips that you have? So you, you mentioned the benefits, but what are maybe a tip or two yep. that you have for someone? I would clearly articulate roles and responsibilities according to strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes when you're in a relationship, lines get blurred, but in business, it's helpful to have clear delineation. So I think it's a simple, basic tip, but I, I think to understand strengths and weaknesses and identify roles and responsibilities based on those and clearly articulate those going in. So your focus now is on manufactured housing communities and self-storage, yes? Yes, correct. What's the latest transaction that you closed on? In December, we closed three, two storage in Houston, Texas, two self-storage deals, and then a mobile home park in just outside of Columbus, Ohio, about a, a 300 space deal. So let's talk about those three. Two self-storage in Houston. Can you give us the details on those? Yeah, so I'll just pick one just to have at least yeah, one of those sure. to talk about. So it was in, it's in Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. It's a newly constructed self-storage facility in a good location. We think for the long run will be great. There's some upside in it in that the current management was, I would say, okay, but not great in our opinion. And we think we could do things better. And then the structure of it, the physical layout of the facility was kind of odd. There was this approach or attempt to, on the third floor of it, climatize it without the traditional climatization process. So basically, they put two giant fans in the roof and tried to circulate air that way. And so what it ended up doing is not working very well. So the, the top floor was incredibly hot, 100 degrees plus on most days. 
and it sounded like a jet engine in your ear. And so <laughs> occupancy on the third floor was a challenge. And so we are fixing that design flaw in our opinion, and then we're managing wow. it better. So we have a, a, it's actually the guy who built it, we know quite well, who I, I believe he brought the deal to us. He just said, listen, they're asking me to do it this way. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to do it. That's what they're asking. So we're taking out the fans and we're actually sealing the roof and putting in your standard climate system. And why would a reasonable business person decide to do it the way that it's currently done? Just putting ourselves in their shoes. I wish I knew the answer and I've relegated myself as a goal to never understand crazy for fear of what that says about me. So there's no rational explanation. Not if, I mean, if you had to come up with a rational explanation for why they did it cheaper. that way. It's cheaper. lower cost. Yeah, it's, it's, it's cheaper. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Approximately, what would be the cost differences? I don't know off the top of my head. If I were to guess, it was a couple hundred thousand dollars, most likely. Not That's much more than that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And the upside there is changing the existing CapEx, or I don't even know if it's CapEx, Correct. but it's changing yeah. some of the structure and then you'll get better rents and get higher occupancy. Correct. Correct. I believe the first month after we bought it, I think we rented something like 25 to 30 units. How many total month, units? It's about 700 units, just shy of 700 units. Okay. Is that type of value add play typical for self-storage? Yes and no. Every deal is a different puzzle I and mean, really no two are alike, but there's no shortage of value added plays within the space. It's just everyone's a different puzzle you're putting together. So I can give you another example to contrast yeah, it. Yeah. Please. Yeah. So one of the first properties we bought in our current fund called Fund 7, but the, one of the first properties was a self-storage facility in Melbourne, Florida. And the short story is, is built about um, 17 some odd years ago great location in the heart on the main drive, you know, pretty moated property, we believe. And in short, there's about 750 units. They had RV spaces in the back, kind of adult toy boats, RVs, the like. And we find that to be pretty inefficient use of land. So when we put it under contract, part of the agreement was that they would build, based on our design, a new building in place of the storage, and we would close basically upon completion. And so that was done. We closed and it went from 750 units to approximately 1,050 units at closing. So when we closed, the occupancy on the property was roughly 74%, call it 75% occupied. So we created the vacancy issue. Now, the risk is that we think we can fill that and absorb that vacancy and we couldn't. So the risk is borne by us and our underwriting. But in short, I want to say, gosh, I think it was Q3 of last year, that property hit I want to say 93% occupancy. And that was in just a little, about call it six quarters from acquisition. So we created the vacancy problem and then filled in obviously more NOI, uh, which is always a good thing. So what are some other ways to add value in self-storage? I'll give you an example of a, a property we bought about two years ago in Melbourne, Florida. When we first saw the assets in a great location, major market, good density, good barriers to entry, but the specific asset kind of one of the problems that we created intentionally so we can solve it on the other side of ownership was we found it, it was built in 2001, good bones, had about 750 units, about 75,000 feet, but they did RV boat, basically adult toy storage in the back, which is not as effective on a per square foot basis for the purpose of generating income. So we put in the contract that we wanted them to build 300 units to our specification. So the long and short of it is when we closed, 
there were about 1,050 units, more than 100,000 feet. And because of that, the project was around off of memory 74, 75% occupancy. So we created our own vacancy problem, which we then solved through leasing it up and pushing rents over time. So I think off of memory, I think a year, some four to five quarters later after acquisition, it hit 93% occupancy. So from 74 to call it 90% plus within a year, year and a half. So that's been another example of a way we've added value on that type of asset. Does that negatively impact your financing since you're buying a property that used to be 90% now they went down to 70%? No, because you, you tell the story as to why. So it, it's not a market base. You do all the diligence and you can show that the market can support it. And we were able to. And so it was not a challenge. And I don't recall ever hearing a multifamily investor go to a seller of apartment building and say, I like your 750 units. I notice it's zoned for 1,100 total. So why don't you go build 400 units and then I'll close on the property? Yeah. First off, does that happen in multifamily? And then secondly, how frequently does it happen in self-storage? Yeah, it's a good question. On the multifamily side, I wouldn't really know because my expertise is mobile home parks and then self-storage. But I would say it, it happens less often than normal. It's not, it's not overly common. But then again, we ask for things pretty regularly that we get that are not normal. So this is one. And what it did for us is it allowed us to close and then go right into lease up rather than having to close and then go through permitting, construction, and more of a drag on cash. How is that structured? If I'm the seller and I have 750 units, and mm -hmm. I'm selling my self-storage, and you are the buyer, and you're saying, you know what, I like it, but why don't you go build me about <laughs> 300 more, and then we'll talk. I'll be like, screw you, buddy. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? You, you go sure. build it yourself. So how do you convince me to actually build them? You're kind, by the way. You would have said far worse, I think, than that, <laughs> on, but I appreciate the, the kindness of that reply. Yeah. So we include basically the cost of construction plus a premium for their time and energy and effort. We paid a premium over what the 750 units was. So they came out ahead in the wash, but so did we in that day one, if we were right on our underwriting and we could lease up the facility, it's a shorter path to profitability rather than a longer drag on cash flow. So it was a mutual win and the way that it was presented and accepted. And approximately how much longer does that take to close a transaction since they're now going to be building 300 units? Uh, off of memory, I think we had it, it took roughly six months, something like that. Uh, it, it added roughly months? six months. Correct. Got it. That's fun to talk about. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's fresh stuff. And on that note, you did say you tend to ask for things that aren't normal but get. What's another example of that? That's a good question. I would just say we're creative because every deal is a different puzzle. So one thing that's somewhat unique, that's pretty normal for us is I'd say it's pretty normal for us to make more than one offer to a seller. So we usually create multiple offer scenarios where one example of a recent one is where there's an option to assume the loan and a whole offer based on a loan assumption and then a whole different offer based on a cash purchase. And so we like to, as much as we can, bifurcate the offers to give the seller the feeling of flexibility and options. And that has worked out well for us. When you do the loan assumption versus cash purchase, first of all, do you typically work with a broker on these transactions? And if so, are the brokers seeing that this is something that's commonplace or is that not as typical to have two offers for one deal? 
So that specific one was actually an off-market deal through a broker, no problem at all with it. So I don't want to say all brokers are familiar or comfortable with that, but the brokers we've worked with are, and it's not abnormal. In terms of our deal flow, we deal with both on and off-market properties and then also broker and direct seller relationships. So we pretty much deal with all types. For someone looking to not get started in self-storage, but buy their second or more self-storage facility, but say they're still on the small scale, relatively speaking, what's the best way for them to find off-market deals? I'd say kind of the usual suspects of beat the pavement, postcards, mailings, those things help. We do those. Attend your trade shows, the self-storage associations in your area could be helpful, but also going door to door, picking a market. If you're market specific and you say, hey, this geographic region's where I want to buy in, creating a list of opportunities in that area and either mailing, calling and or visiting, I think would pay dividends. That's, by the way, how we started our business many years ago, specifically in the mobile home park side of things was just phone calls. My wife had more success at it than I did. You talk to her on the phone, you want to know her, you pretty much want to hang up on me. So uh, she, she was very successful. Based on your experience in the industry, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? That's a good question. I've learned this over many years, and I would just say succinctly, to focus on the value of income more than income as value. So the value of an income stream is, in my opinion, more valuable than an income stream as the value of an investment if that makes sense. It does, but please elaborate. Okay. So as an example, I'll give you as best I can by verbal. So let's say you buy a property and let's say one property and you find a way to make a dollar a month each month. So at the end of the year, you have $12. You pay tax on that, assuming no depreciation offsets. Let's just say you pay tax, so assume 40%. So you have roughly, let's say $8 at the end of the year. So every $1 a month, you raise your net cash, you have, let's say, $8 at the end of the year. Assuming an asset is a five cap asset, and I'm just picking five cap for ease, you can do this at six or whatever cap rate you want to apply, but let's say a 5% capitalization rate. If you're able to buy a property and add $1 of NOI on a monthly basis, that's $12 a year, okay, divide that by 0.05 or multiply it by 20, it's all the same. So you have $240 of equity uh, that you have created per $1 a month of NOI. So comparatively, the question is what excites you more, $240, which is unrealized, so it's not taxed, or $8 after tax. And in fact, if you focus on the 240, you also have the eight. But the point in that is if you have one unit and you can raise your NOI $1 a month, you have $240. If you have 10 units, it's $2,400 in equity so on and so forth. And the reason why understanding this is so important is working backwards. So for example, if your listener who's listening right now says, okay, well, my goal is to create $10 million in net worth for myself in whatever period of time. It may be 5 million, maybe a million, I don't know, but let's just say $10 million. With this, at a 5% capitalization rate, you take $10 million, 5% cap, you need 500,000 of NOI to be worth at five cap. $10 million. So you need to create $500,000 of new NOI. And that sounds like a ton, but then let's break it down. So you take 500,000 of NOI divided by 12 months in a year. That's roughly 42,000 per month of NOI. Still seems like a lot, right? 42,000 a month of NOI. It's a lot of work to do. Now let's say how many units do you want to own? So let's say your listener says, I would like to one day own a thousand units. Okay. So take 42,000 divided by a thousand units. You need roughly $42 a month of NOI per unit to be worth $10 million. 
and you say, okay, well, $41 a month, that still may take some time. Okay, well, how many years? Say five years. So you take, call it $42 divided by five years. So the summation of all of that is if you have 1,000 units and for five years, each year for five years, you grow your NOI by $8 a year for five years across 1,000 units, you had a 5% cap rate, you have created $10 million of net worth for yourself. And I'm with glad. that, you can then create all the income you want. Thank you. Very helpful. And what a good example. I didn't know you had that up your sleeve. I might have just kept going. Good thing I asked you to explain. That's a great example. Thanks. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at thereifoundation.libson.com. Best ever book you've recently read? Right Away and All at Once by Greg Brenneman. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Ooh, trusting without verifying. Will you give an example? Yeah, I did a deal. It probably also falls under the worst ever deal, but did a deal with a family member where some of the information was misrepresented. Best ever not, deal? Not pleasant. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> Best for multiple reasons. Best ever deal you've done? Mobile home park early in our business in Hopkinsville, Kentucky, off of memory, it's 60 some odd units, we got it under contract for roughly 300000 I think we put $12,000 down. The rest was seller carry. We then improved it over many years and I think sold it for around 800000 So from an ROI perspective, that's probably the best one we've ever done. Best ever way you like to give back? Focusing on bringing the heart of giving into the intention of earning, making it more of a unified but more specifically into what we do, my wife has been really great in this, but in short, we form giving groups around town where we get 12 people in a group. Each person puts in $2,500, and then we, through our social fabric, bring people in need to the group that we're connected with, and then we vote on a gift recipient twice a year, and then we follow up and follow through with the people. So it's a direct gift given locally within our social fabric. And then we've expanded that and there's many, many giving groups now. It's been a lot of fun. Is that a formalized organization or is there like a website for that? No, but if anybody wants details on how to do it or possible details, I'm happy to share with what we're doing. And we've systematized the approach on how we're doing it, but we're not formalized as an organization, no. And what a wonderful segue. How can the best ever listeners learn more about you and your company? elevationcapitalgroup.com. That's the URL of our site. My direct line is 407-602-7662. Happy to help anytime. Loved listening to the stories about unique ways to add value from the jet engine sound with the <laughs> property in Katy, Texas to the 750 units that, no, 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 you don't want 750. You wanted 1,050. So please just go build those and I'll wait six months. Just love hearing these stories and actual transactions with some back and forth and what made sense for both parties. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon. 
Sounds great. Thanks. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.